All right, and we're on. All right, so welcome everybody. This is Not Another Military History Podcast. My name is Jacob, and here with me today is my good friend Liam. How goes it, Liam? Ah, it goes well, Jacob. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course, man. So uh, Liam and I both had the uh, misfortune of going to high school in Newport News, Virginia. <laughs> so uh, the bad news, as as they say. How how would you or, rate uh, your... or Newport and Snooze is Newport's, what I always called it. Yeah, it's like it's pretty much the the mo the part of the most positive thing I can say about Newport News. Uh, well, there's maybe two things. There's one was that I never got stabbed uh, one <laughs> the, the entire time I, I lived there, and there was a Seven Eleven on pretty much every corner. So the the Seven Elevens being within easy biking distance, uh, definitely a plus. A- absolutely, and we all we used to go to we used to walk to this diner. And and grant you, this is we live in a, a decent enough area in Newport News. There are definitely some really rough areas you don't want to be caught in, like downtown, for instance. But um, so we used to go walk to this diner, and uh, we'd walk there all the time when we were back in high school. And it was a pretty nice little diner, you know, had some like cheap ice cream and some like nice snacks and stuff. But we'd sit in the corner booth, and there was a like several bullet holes like in the windows, right at head <laughs> level. Like so, you know, somebody just went in there and just got fucking popped, like executed just right then and there, like in there in the diner. And not only what was worse, like some of the bullet holes were like older and they were clearly like they had gone through the window. Some of them were like newer and they had just like impacted on the glass and had very clearly meant like the owner had upgraded to bulletproof glass at some point because <laughs> they had gotten shot up <laughs> too many times. It, it just They're just like, okay, you know what? Once, you know, like shoot me once, you know, shame on me, you know, or sh- shame on you, shoot me twice, shame on me, you know, so... But, Should be uh, three, four, five times, and like, ah, uh, man, I really need new windows. For real, yeah. Like that. That also that reminds me, though. Also, I saw this uh, clip. You know, I'm a mat. For anybody that doesn't know, I'm a massive like gun nerd. But uh, so I saw this like uh, post. It was from Vice. It was talking about like the violence in Mexico right now with the cartels, and they had this picture. I don't know if you've seen it, Liam, but it's like the way it's like. Oh, it's like supposed to be this bullet that like impacted the, like one of the walls there. And but mm-hmm. it's like somebody clearly just took like an unspec like a completely unfired bullet oh, and just stuck it through yeah, there with like, with, like yeah. with the metal casing and everything there. Which like if you don't know, guys, when you fire a gun, like the metal casing ejects. Like the only part that actually goes into somebody is like the actual tip of it. Like so, it was just like they clearly just like took a random bullet, like placed it there, and just like looks good, guys. No, silly Jacob. They whoever shot that clearly had one of those like big cartoon guns that fired the <laughs> entire bullet for maximum damage. Absolutely. How how silly of me. Absolutely. Yes. But uh, so mo- moving on to the subject of today's podcast, uh, you like soccer, Liam? Uh, I love soccer. Yeah. See, yes, I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, English Premier League, German Bundesliga. Uh, I have I've taken a, a dabble in some of the Copa America and in, in South America. Uh, Neat. things around there so would would you say that fans that uh like soccer would you say they're like really really serious about it oh i would uh i would call them zealots in some cases <laughs> Zealots, really yeah <laughs> yes soccer is a, a religion around the world uh, or yeah. it's football as they call it yes uh there it's soccer is is the um well a lot of a lot of countries have a lot of difference across the world but they all share one thing is that they actually like like a sport that actually everyone else cares about, unlike the United States. So, <laughs> but then again, though, I mean, we do have you know, like if if we see if we create we created football so that we could be the only ones to play it, 
And then we're back-to-back world champs every single year. Yeah, back-to-back-to-back-to-back. I can keep saying back-to-back 53 times because, I mean, nobody else has (laughs) has beaten us at this. Come on, world, step up. Yeah, honestly, like get a get your your hand egg game up as 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 some of the Europeans <laughs> are want to say. But um, so this this naturally leads us into uh, there's a little little bit of a tiff between the countries of Honduras and uh, El Salvador, and we call this the Great Football War. The Great Football War is this so a war that started over a game of soccer. Well, not well. So it's it's a lot more like there's kind of if you go if you look up this war online, there's a lot of kind of uh, little articles about it and everything. A lot of them would just say like, oh, this war was just started over, you know, like a soccer game. And like, no, it's a lot more complex than that, really. So uh, it was fought uh, between July 14th and 18th on in 1969. Uh, like I said, between El Salvador and Honduras, which share a border in Central America. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of underlying social. Uh, issues and conditions that led to this war. So uh, Honduras is about five times the size of El Salvador, but at the time El Salvador had 40% more people. So Honduras had roughly, yeah, Honduras had roughly 3.7 million people versus about 2.6 million people. So I'm I'm sorry, El El Salvador had 3.7 million people and Honduras had 2.6 million. So Honduras is a very land rich country, Uh, El Salvador, not so much. So yeah, Salvador um, is kind of the tightly packed, uh, as one would say. Yeah, yeah, very, very densely packed. And uh, so naturally, this caused uh, many farmers from El Salvador to immigrate to Honduras through much of the 20th century due to the more plentiful land opportunities. So if you fast forward to 1969, uh, Salvadorans made up about 20% of the Honduran population. So naturally, when you have kind of a minority group coming in, they start to grow in number. Uh, maybe exercise a little bit more power. There's typically some conflicts arise between them and the native population. Uh, so in well, let's actually go if you go back a few years to 1966 uh, in Honduras, uh, the United Fruit Company, which famously has never done anything bad whatsoever in, uh, oh. in world history. I love their bananas. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. They've they haven't done anything that's like rhymed with enocide. Or, you know, like, um, you know, like slave labor or mass killing, anything like that at all is, is definitely not associated whatsoever with the United Fruit Company, uh, famously non-controversial company. Uh, so, Capitalism is good from what I have heard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Some, some things, yes. I mean, like iPhones are nice, but the slave labor that's, yeah. gets, that's used to make iPhones yeah, not, so, uh, not so nice. Different flavors of capitalism. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so 1966, the United Fruit Company formed, uh, and there's going to be a lot of Hispanic, you know, names in here. So I'm going to prepare for me to just butcher a lot of these. Uh, so 1966, they formed the La Federación Nacional de Agriculturas y Ganaderos de Honduras, uh, abbreviated as FENAG. So, uh, also known as the National Federation of Farmers and Livestock uh, Farmers of Honduras. I don't think they really needed to put farmers twice there in the title. They probably got it up the first time, but I mean, what do I know? I think they uh, meant to add like an ellipsis or like a, a colon there. And th- that second farmers is for emphasis. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. We're not sponsored by uh, farmers no, no, insurance. No, no insurance. 
uh, sponsorships here today. Although, if you if you wanted to, farmers, I'd, yeah, I'd hey, uh, J.K. Simmons, please yeah. give us a call. <laughs> yes, please call. Absolutely, email, call. But uh, so uh, this organization, its goal was to protect the property rights of wealthy landowners, uh, naturally, and to put it at odds with the poor Salvadoran farmers who led the country. Uh, there was a lot of Salvadoran farm- farmers who kind of were squatting on some unused land. And then so basically, uh, the Unifruit Company formed this organization to try to like make sure that the uh, that their land primarily and the land of their allies was uh, was protected. So um, so as tensions rose, uh, there began to be an increase in the attacks and murder on Salvadoran immigrants uh, by Hondurans. And uh, now, if we go back even a few years earlier too, uh, to 1962. Honduras passed a land reform bill that gave the central government and local municipalities control of the land that was illegally occupied by Salvadoran immigrants. And by 1967, it was in full effect. So this land was taken from Salvadoran immigrants, regardless of whether they actually legally own the land or not, and then redistributed it to native-born Hondurans. So So yeah, at, at this point, they are just running roughshod through any land that like even decades ago, if I if I'm remembering correctly, was settled and kind of landed by El Salvadorians. Yeah, I mean, you could like have settled on a piece of land and bought it, you know, like legally with your own title in like you know 1930, and then like 39 years later, they're gonna come up to you and be like, "Oh, you're not native-born Honduran? Okay, we're gonna take your shit." So, hmm. not well. Sorry, yeah. go on. No, no, nothing. Go ahead. All right. So, uh, naturally, tensions began to simmer, and as they simmered, Honduras and El Salvador were scheduled to play three qualifying football matches in 1969 for the 1970 World Cup held in Mexico City. Uh, so, as the Salvadoran team arrived for their first map uh, match in the city of uh, Tegucigalpa, I probably butchered that, uh, the capital of Honduras, they were met by angry fans who harassed them and purposely made noise outside of the hotel in a bid to keep them awake and they sabotage their match for the next day. Which is honestly kind of funny, in my opinion. Like, that's oh. just like... Yeah, fo- football fans will do this still nowadays. If, if the, the information leaks to where the opposing team is staying, then you will absolutely, especially for like a big tournament like a Champions League uh, or some major uh, international tournament, you would have some ultras... Uh, out in the parking lot, just yelling whatever chance they could all night long. Oh yeah, like every, everyone knows about the stereotype of like the European, like the the football, you know, like uh, what's the term for like the the football hooligans? Yeah, football you know? hooligan, yes. Yeah, they like roam around and they just fucking are just obnoxious and chant their team and like you know if their team loses they turn over you know cars and shit you know. Yep. But uh, they're very so, happy if they win. They are very unhappy if they lose. Yeah, I mean like it's it's kind of like Eagles fans, you know, in Philadelphia, <laughs> like. Like like whether whether they win or lose, you know Philadelphia is getting burned down. You know? Oh yeah, like, no. city of brotherly love. It's great. Like one one of my favorite all time uh, Bill Burr clips. I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, uh, Bill Burr from sponsored podcast. No, but <laughs> like so uh, one of my favorite all time Bill Burr clips is when he was in uh, Philly a few years back, and like he was going on there, and it was like a big show where they had those comedians out there, and the previous comedians they were dealing with a really like rough, really drunk crowd. And the previous several several comedians had gone before him, and then like they had all been booed off the stage and just heckled to, into oblivion. So like Bill Burr just goes up there and just starts immediately like ranting at the audience, you know. And he's just like he's like, 
I hope you all die. Hope you all get cancer. I hope the Eagles never win the Super Bowl. And then everybody just, <laughs> you just hear this like chorus of just boo, boo. Like they were completely quiet. Like they didn't care that he like said that they wanted them to die of cancer before that. They, like, but they are a tough city. Yeah, no doubt. Like, uh, I think they're. I, I could be wrong. I also heard somewhere that their stadium is like the only stadium with like holding tanks for like drunk fans. Oh yes, uh, I mean because it's very famous. Like from the eighties onward, uh, as soon as like batteries, like double A to like D batteries became readily like purchasable in stores, Philadelphia fans would sneak them into games. And if it was like a snowy game. You've got a battery and a snowball. They're getting thrown onto the field. They they had to build like holding tanks in the link specifically because they had too many disorderly people (laughs) causing chaos in the stadium. Not not only you're causing a blunt force trauma, we're also like trying to poison their asses with a battery. Yeah, like fucking (laughs) intense. Yeah, like those are old batteries too. In in some cases, like fucking Lincoln everywhere. Yeah. You get you get your face fucking like pummeled to the ground. Do you like get some grass in your mouth, and suddenly you've got like fucking stage four cancer from like the yeah fucking, exactly like and lithium suddenly, like yeah, battery some, some leakage. Punk, some punk from the third mezzanine has lobbed a snowball down with a, a D battery lodged inside of it because yeah, why not? We're losing. Yeah, your fucking just spleen just like falls out of your ass. You know, like <laughs> just like. <laughs> So, so, but at, so at this point, though, we can we can say that the fans are not doing anything that any other soccer or like football fans wouldn't do. No, you know? we are currently still on the grounds of normal f- football hooliganism. Yes. So, uh, and then on June eighth, uh, there was fighting between fans outside the stadium before the match, and the Hondurans won the first game one to zero due to a very last minute goal. So again, like pretty normal stuff. Fans will fight all the time. Uh, but what happened afterwards was not normal at all. So uh, upon seeing this on her TV, 18-year-old Emilia Bolianos grabbed her father's pistol from his drawer and shot herself in the heart. Whoa. Yeah, what? so... <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I'm, I'm probably going to be going to hell for this, but one might say that's a bit of an uh, overreaction. Yeah, I, I like soccer games. I'm personally, uh, for, to put it in American context, American football, uh, I am a Vikings fan. When when we lost in the playoffs, or when we always lose in the playoffs, yeah, you, I, you, didn't, you I didn't shoot don't yourself, kill myself. Yeah. No, I'm still alive. <laughs> you 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 still like having your heart uh, in your body doing what's normal. I like minutes. my heart being intact. Yes. Yeah. So so you, yeah. So you you would agree that that's just a tad bit dramatic, you know? It it, it could be like a a thing of passion. Uh, maybe she's trying to martyr herself for the team. <laughs> well. Uh, Yes. <laughs> well, 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 we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but oh, no. I mean, that, then again, though, when it's a, it's a bit dramatic. But when have teenage girls ever been dramatic, right? So that's 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 never once happened in in history. So no, but, never. No. So she did become a martyr to the Salvadoran government. Uh, her funeral was televised on Salvador State TV. And her coffin was draped in the El Salvador flag, and her and her funeral procession was followed. By the fucking president of El Salvador and his cabinet ministers as well, so they're going all in on this. So, so they're going all in, in yeah, they they've made her a martyr, and they're basically gonna ride her spirit to a, a World Cup qualifying bid. They're they're like we're gonna use this like teens like clearly like mental health like issues, and we're gonna use it to start a war. 
because you know um you know governments do what governments do and governments hate yeah. letting tragedies go to waste so they they could have only learned from the the best uh international governments oh absolutely uh, well, yes yes uh, American government has never done anything wrong whatsoever. Definitely yeah. not in uh, in C- C- Central or just, South America either. Yeah. Just like the United Fruit Company. America <laughs> has never done anything wrong. <laughs> F- famously non-controversial opinion, uh, the American government has never done anything wrong. So Yeah. But uh, so then the newspaper, uh, El Nacional, this is a Salvador state newspaper, uh, wrote, quote, the young girl could not bear to see her nation brought to its knees. So they're just going like completely fanning the flames on all this, on all these tensions too. So yeah, you've got you've got the press, you've got the government, everybody's coming into this this mess together. It's just the perfect storm. So uh, the perfect so, storm for a football match. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, so naturally, of course, this further increased tensions. Uh, the second game took place on June fifteenth. San uh, so in San Salvador, actually, instead this time, which the uh, oh, San Salvador is the capital of El Salvador. So uh, the El Salvador team actually won this game handily 3-0. So, and then uh, the previous night, the Salvador fans also kept the Honduran team up by making noise outside of their hotel. So pretty much just giving them a taste of their own medicine at this point. <laughs> you know, just I, I love hearing about just like, you know, soccer, like new fans, just like... Just, oh, just, oh just yeah, be- no, that, that this is very much a, like, a revenge... Uh, on uh the hondurans like you kept our players up all night well welcome to our turf yeah uh, we're gonna treat you to our special yeah they're just being petty bitches you know in this so it's it's very fun and then uh so the not only this though so uh for the game the honduran team actually had to be driven to the stadium in armored cars due to security concerns so you might say there's definitely some escalation going on here though and uh, Salvadoran fans carried pictures of uh, Bayanos with them to the stadium, and writing was so bad that three people died before the game even began. Oh Jesus! Yeah, so this is this is starting to so, definitely. Yes, the re- tensions have gone above and beyond at this point. Yeah, you typically don't have you'll get fights, sure, but you won't have people just fucking die before the game even begins. No, so. uh, no. And not only that, probably most petty of all, uh, a dirty rag, uh, before kickoff, a dirty rag was raised and placed the Honduran flag, and Salvadoran fans also burned the Honduran flag as well. Ooh. <laughs> so See, now, what I want to, what I want to find out is that that is uh, against uh, international sporting code for the, under the rules of FIFA to, to violate your opponent's flag at the very least. So that is... By my accounts, a in soccer terms, at the very least, an escalation uh, beyond hooliganism. Yes, clearly, clearly the the worst thing that uh, any team has ever done in FIFA. Yes. Uh, yes. Let's not talk but, about West Germany. Yeah, the the worst thing that FIFA itself has ever done. Uh, let, let's just not 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 talk about any of the the stuff not, that happened. Let's not talk about Qatar. <laughs> Qatar, right? So what slave labor? What slave labor? What are you talking about? Uh, Here we are back on slave labor again. Yes. So uh, surprisingly, uh, slavery is actually a pretty, uh, pretty uh, common f- fixture throughout much of history. But yeah. uh, so after Honduras lost the match, uh, the coach of the team, Mario Griffin, is reported to have stated, "We're awfully lucky that we lost." 
Which I I appreciate that because he's like, yeah, if we if we won, we probably would have fucking died. Like we probably they probably would have turned over the armored car and like just beaten all those players to a pulp. But um, and then back in Honduras, reports of the match and the ill treatment of the team proliferated, causing Hondurans to target uh, Salvadorans for beatings and assaults. So they're like they're hearing about their team being mistreated and they start mistreating all the innocents. You know, Salvadorans, their own country. So, yeah. So, in counter to the riots that were caused by the Salvadorians over the Honduran team being there, uh, and the violence through the Honduran team, now the Hondurans are putting it back upon the Salvadorian immigrants, like in their own in Honduras. Yeah, they're just you know just okay. going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So the so, violence um, perpetuates and the cycle continues. Yes. Exactly. So uh, after the second match, uh, Interior Minister Francisco Jose Guerrero uh, estimated that 12,000 Salvadorans left Honduras. So they're seeing all this violence. And they're like, I don't want any fucking part of this. I'm getting out while I still can. So uh, the last game took place on June 27th in Mexico City. So they're finally on neutral ground. Uh, you would, it's a completely different country. You would think that might simmer down tensions, but nope. Uh, 1,700 Mexican police officers are present in the stadium to contain potential rioting, rioting and uh, Salvador fans chanted, quote, murderers, murderers of the Honduran fans. Uh, I've actually seen this game. Uh, now, I was not around in the 60s, and especially not 1969. Wait, what, wait, 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 you told me you weren't around in the 60s, Liam? Unfortunately not. I'm not yet a time traveler. Hopefully I'll be able to get back there. My um, world is just shattered. I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, but no, this game's on YouTube. Um, this game in its full grainy black and white uh, fuzzy footage and uh, all of its glory is on, on YouTube. And you can, you can watch all of it. It's about two hours in length. Uh, and for most, for the most part, the commentator is speaking too loud, but you can hear the <laughs> chanting at some points. You can, and if you speak uh, Spanish, uh, or at least you know are good at understanding words and putting it into Google Translate, yes, figure it out. Just they like are, I did for the uh, for the, the Iceland episode, and, and they're actually they're chanting uh, uh, kind of back at each other. Uh, just while the Salvadorians are chanting "murders, murders," the Honduran teams are are just screaming obscenities back at them, uh, and you can really tell even inside, separated from each other, like normal football fans would be in a, a riotous match like this. They are chomping at the bit to get to each other. Yeah, and so and I think clearly at this point too, like we've established, this isn't just about the soccer. You know, like there's this like a nationalist thing. Where you have like you know uh, you know this this uh, you know this group of people is coming into another country and they're being treated badly because they're you know foreigners and you know they're being you know like persecuted under the laws. So there is really just a lot that goes into this. It's not just like oh my team is great, yours sucks, you know. Yeah, there is a. You'll see this a lot in international football too. Uh, especially in like big rivalries between not teams that have played each other and are sporting rivals, but national rivals a lot, uh, especially in the qualifier stages. Uh, the U.S. and Mexico actually have a, a rivalry like this. Hmm, uh, that's really? both sporting and international um, because the U.S. men's national team has risen to you know finally acceptable heights of uh, play on the national scale. 
or the international scale. Uh, we routinely make it far in World Cup qualifiers, and we will occasionally run into our neighbor to the south, uh, Mexico. Uh, and there is just such a bitter rivalry between uh, American uh, ultras and Mexican ultras. Just it's not to the level where they are rioting in the streets, and yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, any Americans that are found in Tijuana are being beaten up because America won again, dosa y cero. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it is that level of of hatred and vitriol is still seen somewhat throughout the soccer world today. Huh? Yeah, that's interesting because I didn't know that because you typically you don't think about. United States, because, you know, you know, of course, like, you know, football, you know, American football is our major sport here, which no one else plays. So there's really no way for us to really like, you know, you know, like get in a feud with another country over this. So you typically don't think of the United States having any kind of major sports rivals, like in the same fashion as other countries do that play soccer. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it just rem- reminds you know me how like, you know, the soccer is actually it's it's getting up there in America. I think it's rising in popularity. It, yeah, it's it's getting there. I mean, where the world is, or or the nation is finally kind of you know growing in interest at the idea of a men's and women's national team, especially with the women's international team winning, uh, was it back to back World Cups from the last two, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really heightened the popularity of the game and really led to a lot of these tensions increasing with more fans coming in to enjoy the game that there's now more of a platform, more of a base to kind of rile up and get into things. So the, as you said, the, like earlier, there was a large population in El El Salvador. Uh, I could very easily see it that, you know, since they're all crowded together, they all have this one passionate thing that they share, football. And it would be very easy to rile that group up if if you are going against them, especially oh. uh, against a neighbor like Honduras. Oh, is, definitely. Yeah. You know, I, I also, I wonder if it has to do with uh, the fact, you, you know, America has typically always been in history very much like isolationist. Uh, we've always been more concerned with our own continents and our own selves than we have with a lot of other countries. So I wonder if this also has something to do with the fact that we don't really, you know, typically have. I mean, like I said, we're a developing one with Mexico in terms of soccer, but we've never really, you know, had a desire to like, you know, like we have to play the same sport as everyone else plays. We have to have these rivalries with other countries in terms of sports. So you've hit the nail almost directly on the head because of uh, America's isolationist, isolationist past. Uh, we never really got the chance through like the 60s, 70s, and 80s to start forming those international rivalries. We were rarely in the World Cup back in yeah, that time. We, we, we were too concerned yeah. with like our Cold War rivalries, you know, to yeah. do with we these were sporting ones. We concerned about how many nukes can we make? Can we make yeah. more nukes than that guy? Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's very fascinating. But uh, so this. No, so at the end of this game, uh, so El Salvador ended up winning the final game three to two in the eleventh minute of extra time. So and may I say it was scored by a man who has uh, not only a great name uh, but the best nickname that I have ever heard. Oh, what is it? Uh, his name is Mauricio Pipo Rodriguez. <laughs> Pipo, I love that. It's Pipo, P I P O. People, it's it sounds like it sounds like a Hispanic version of like the mouse from Tom and Jerry, you know? Like I don't know, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. People. Is is that is that is that racist? I don't. I don't, I, I don't know. You may want to cut this. Pro- probably, I'm gonna get canceled. <laughs> now, but yeah, cut this. 
<laughs> but the, hey, then then again though, like um, what do you call it? Um, Warner Bros. made a, a racist version of Speedy Gonzalez far, far before I did. So. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but uh, apparently though, a lot a lot of this makes people like Speedy Gonzalez. So like a tweet somewhere where somebody was like, you know, like if you like get rid of Speedy Gonzalez, I'm like all these spanks are gonna riot, <laughs> like something like that, you know. So, but uh, anyways. So back to this uh, this very pressing political issue. So um, so the very same day uh, that El Salvador won the game against Honduras, uh, El Salvador severed all diplomatic ties with Honduras, stating that Honduras had quote done nothing to prevent murder, oppression, rape, plundering, and the mass expulsion of uh, Salvadorans, which honestly is pretty fair. You know that's yeah that most... that it's almost spot on. That's <laughs> mostly correct. So like yeah, like yeah. it's it's pretty much all correct. But uh, so El Salvador, uh, so the El Salvadorian government uh, also argued that quote the government of Honduras has not taken any effective measures to punish these crimes which constitute genocide, nor has it given assurances of indemnification or reparations for the damages caused to Salvadorians. Again, pretty pretty much correct. Yeah, uh, it seems like valid reasons to go to war. Yeah, or at least to to fight a conflict over something. Absolutely. So, uh, so border. So shortly after this happened, uh, border skirmishes began between the two countries, and then on July fourteenth, nineteen sixty nine, the Salvadoran Air Force started bombing targets in Honduras using converted C forty seven passenger planes. Which these planes, the C forty sevens, are actually like old, like U.S. planes from World War Two. Like yeah. If watch, like if you watch Band of Brothers, those are the planes that they're like the the hundred first airborne is dropping out of. They were used primarily as like transport planes and as like parachute, you know, like planes and everything. So, which which should give you an idea about kind of the state a lot of these countries and militaries that they're still using, you know, like essentially uh, obsolescence, like you know World War Two machinery to to power their military. So uh, wait, they they flew passenger planes into Honduras with like. Just bombs taped to the side? <laughs> more more or less. I mean, like, not exactly that primitive. But yeah, they, they converted them to be bombers. So that's what they did. Uh, I but... never thought a car bomb would be escalated to a plane bomb. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll probably... We'll do it... Ev- oh, wait till you hear. Well, I'm probably going to do an episode at some point on the Greek War of Independence. And, oh, the, and, oh and the, the Greeks actually used what was called a fire ship, which is essentially a nautical car bomb. Where they would just load the ship full up of like timber and gunpowder and like kerosene, and then just like float it up to another ship, and then like just row out as fast as they could, and then like before the thing blew up right next to the other ship. But uh, <laughs> there's man. there's too many versions of car bombs for humanity to exist any longer. Yeah, they 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 definitely uh, the Irish don't know anything about that either. But uh, hey, I'm Irish. <laughs> I am a I'm an expert on that. Oh, I'm 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 sure you know all about all all the all the car bombs, right? We're gonna, yeah. For, oh, great! Now, now the the CIA and the FBI is going to start monitoring this podcast. I have to but, report uh, to my local IRA member. Yes, yes, Sean uh, Finnegan O'Flannery. But uh, <laughs> so so naturally, so these C forty seven started hitting a uh, town continent national airport first, uh, which delayed the Honduran air response. Uh, so the Honduran air response wasn't able to respond as fast as they could because they hit the airports. Uh, meanwhile, the Salvadorian army pushed into Honduras along two main roads, uh, easily brushing aside the Honduran border police, who offered pretty much no resistance. Uh, within only four days, they would be 80 miles away from the Honduran capital. 
So this is going pretty fast. They're just kind of zipping through the uh, Honduran countryside. Uh, so so uh, one logistical question. Who has, like, the larger or, or better army? Because it sounds like El Salvador is just kind of running roughshod over the bigger country. Uh, yeah, I would say at this point they do. Uh, they also have uh, M3 Stewart tanks, which are also another World War II relic as well I was reading about. Uh, but yeah, at this point they have the bit of the superior military. And then, uh, but as far as the, in terms of weapons are concerned, they're, they're armed roughly equally. It's just that Salvador has the element of surprise and that at this point they're able to mass, uh, overwhelming numbers against the, uh, Hondurans. Uh, oh, fun fact though, for you though. Uh, so Antonio Somoza from Nicaragua, who was a, then a dictator of Nicaragua, uh, he also supplied the Hondurans with weapons. So, uh, oh. an- another famously non-controversial figure in, uh, in Cold War politics. Isn't, isn't history fun? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. But uh, so about two days after the invasion on July 16th, the Honduran Air Force responded to the invasion by bombing a Salvadoran airbase of uh, Yopango. I'm guessing I said that right. Uh, they also launched raids against the Salvadoran oil facilities at uh, Alcajulta and uh, Cutuco. So uh, with these actions, the Salvadoran advance stalled outside of uh, Tegucigalpa. Uh, so they they basically make it right to kind of like the gates of the Honduran capital, and then but their supplies get cut off by the uh, Honduran Air Force, and then they're forced to stop. So, yeah, they they ex- essentially had one spearhead, uh, and Honduras was able to react and counterattack and cut that off. Yeah, you, you might you might say because they ran out of food, you might also say they got battle of the bulged. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Or <laughs> Napoleon. Or uh, Napoleon in Russia. in Russia, absolutely yes. But uh, so now. Uh, this war only occurred over four days, so there's really, like, there's a few things to talk about. There's really, n- like, not much you can really talk about in terms of the fighting because it just was so short. Really, the really interesting stuff is the build-up to this. Uh, but one th- interesting note that I think is really interesting is that uh, I mentioned how both sides use antiquated, like, World War II machinery. And this also applied to the fighter planes that they used. Uh, so both sides used old, like, P-51 Mustangs, F-4U Corsairs as well. And like a like twenty four Texans, these are all like fighter planes that you would have seen Americans flying like at the end of World War Two. So yeah, like, the, and these are things I would I would see in like on the History Channel when they're doing a documentary of like the Battle of Midway or any later point of World War Two, not nineteen sixty nine in a <laughs> the middle of the Cold War. <laughs> yeah, in in this in like Central American jungle. Yeah, it's crazy. Like and the the F four U Corsair as well. It's it's one of my favorite planes, but um. So it was it was designed specifically actually to be an, a carrier aircraft. It had the special gold wing, uh, kind of like uh, like design to where the planes kind of dip, the wings would dip and then go back up. Uh, ironically, right. though, this actually made it a very terrible carrier aircraft because that design <laughs> led to it kind of just bouncing on the deck whenever it would like you know like land. But uh, otherwise, it was good. I mean, it had it had a pretty good uh, you know had you know pretty good speed, good maneuverability, you know, good uh, armament. But uh, but yeah. It's it's interesting to me because you think about, you know, like, you know, you typically think in terms of, like, weapons advancing. Like, you're like, oh, these are the weapons we used in World War II. And then we went to the Korean War. And then Vietnam, and we used different weapons, like, more advanced weapons. Like, well, these weapons didn't just disappear. You know, they got, you know, exported out to, like, you know, poor countries yeah. that ended up using them for a lot longer than a lot of other countries yeah, we, did. We, as a first world country, had the capabilities to still 
build and innovate and like go immediately from World War II into the jet age uh, and start building sonic fighters and hypersonic fighters. Um, but all that stuff we built, all those combustion engine like jets and like turboprop fighters, yeah, the piston prop got guys, petered yeah. out everywhere else. Like as soon as America and like Great Britain, as soon as they couldn't use all that stuff, that's collateral that you can sell on. Exactly, uh, yeah, and sell just it off for distribute G. everywhere else. But there was actually some interesting air combat, though. Um, so on the 17th of July, Honduran Air Force Corsair pilots, uh, Captain Fernando Soto and his wingman, Captain Elgardo Acosta, engaged two Salvadorian uh, Mustangs, which were attacking another Corsair while strafing targets south of the, of the Honduran capital. So Soto entered a turning engagement with one Mustang and blew off its left wing with three bursts of 20-millimeter cannons, uh, killing pilot Captain Douglas Varela when his parachute did not fully deploy. That guy got fucked. But later that day, the pair spotted two Salvadorian um, uh, Goodyear Corsairs, some more Corsairs. Uh, they jettisoned hardpoint stores. So basically, they, they jettisoned oftentimes these planes are designed with external fuel tank and uh, fuel tanks. And if they wanted to like climb higher or dive faster, sometimes they would just let them go to make the plane lighter. Uh, but so they went ahead and jettisoned their fuel tanks. And then they... Um, they started climbing and they made a diving attack on these uh, Corsairs. So Soto set one Corsair on fire uh, only to find his wingman on, uh, or, or, it's, or I'm sorry, its wingman, the other opposing pilot's wingman on his tail. So an intense dogfight between them ended when Soto entered a uh, split S basically, like, which is kind of like, you know, when you, as I understand, it's kind of, you kind of just like zoop, like dip down really fast, but a uh, giving with, a firing solution, which he used to shoot down Captain Guillermo Ronaldo Cortez, who died when his Corsair exploded. So you have one pilot actually got three kills over the course of one day. So pretty cool. Wow. And, and if I recall correctly, this, I mean, when when you said the dates of the war, like this is like a three day war, isn't it? A uh, four, four days, yeah. They they also call they also call it about like the hundred hour war because it's roughly about right, how long yeah, it lasted. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, when when you say like the fighting is minimal, this is really like the like the height of performance in in this campaign. Like this is the best you're gonna get. Yeah, pretty much. Like you know, I mean, I mean, most both militaries. I mean, they're not gonna be trained particularly all that well in terms of just being on the ground. But it is also just me being like a big plane, you know, nerd and like a World War Two nerd. I think it's it's a really cool to see. I mean, obviously it was. Must have been terrible for the pilots doing this in real time, you know, risking their lives and all, of course. But I don't want to downplay that. But it's also cool to see, you know, these like very classic, you know, like World War II aircraft designs being used in combat. And this was actually the last war in which these designs were to were were known to have been used in combat as well. Wow. So um, if, if he'd gotten just two more uh, planes, he would have actually been an ace. But, yeah, he would have been an ace in a day. Yeah crazy but uh so essentially because once the honduran uh advance outside of the capital was stalled uh it was just only a matter of time uh for the war to end so on july 16th so about two days into the war honduras called the organization of american states the oas to negotiate a ceasefire between honduras and el salvador so el salvador initially resisted pressure to withdraw its soldiers saying that it wanted honduras to agree to reparations and promise to take measures to protect uh, Salvadoran immigrants in Honduras. So, you know, which is pretty fair. 
You know, I, I'd say that those are pretty fair terms. But uh, a ceasefire was arranged on July 18th, so four days after, and it went into effect officially on July 20th. Uh, despite this ceasefire, El Salvador continued to resist withdrawing its soldiers and only did so under threat of sanctions and uh, observers like being sent in from the OAS. So, uh, On August 2nd, uh, 1969, El Salvador officially withdrew its troops and Honduras agreed to take measures for the protection of Salvadorans in Honduras. So, finally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, finally this... Wait, so they... The ceasefire set in on July 20th, but it took them, what is that, 12 days to actually, two weeks to actually pull out of the country? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, about, that's about, about right, yeah. Wow. Oh, and, and the, the war itself, though, wouldn't actually end until, like, uh, well, well, let me actually, let me just get into my notes. So, uh, El Salvador, in the war, of course, the war, El Salvador lost 900 soldiers and civilians and three aircraft. Uh, Honduras lost 2,100 soldiers and civilians. They actually didn't lose any aircraft. So, hmm. But, I mean, for being only a four-day war, though, it's a pretty bloody war. You know, that it's is, like, yeah. for Honduras, that's about, like, 500 people a day. I mean, like, almost, for El Salvador, that's about, what, about 900 divided by four? That's about, like, what, like, two-something two a day? A day. Yeah. yeah, 250, something like that? Yeah. But, um, so... Now, the real cost uh, in this war was really just the, the impact they had on the civilian population, uh, as is often the case in warfare, sadly. So uh, 300,000 300, Salvadoran civilians were displaced from their homes due to this war. Uh, the economies of both countries were greatly damaged by the war. Of course, these are bordering each other, so they, whatever tensions there were before, they did rely on each other a great deal uh, for trade before the war. And the resulting economic instability within El Salvador led to the Salvadoran Civil War in 1979, in which around 80,000 people were killed and another 8,000 people disappeared. D disappeared? Yep. Don't you love to see that? Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, I think... it's my favorite little st historical st statistic. Absolutely. I mean, you could almost kind of like, because of how quickly... I mean, it's only like, you know, like 10 years uh, until from the end of this war until the Salvadoran Civil War. So you could almost kind of consider this war, the football war, kind of almost like the opening act of the Salvadoran Civil War, uh, because it would cause so many of the issues that would play a role in that war's outbreak. So now a former treaty for that war wouldn't be signed until 10 years later in 1989. So... Wow. So yeah. 10 years later, they finally got together and, and signed a piece of paper that said, hey, that war from 10 years ago, it's go it's over. Yes, yes. So, yeah, it's 10 years after 1969, they officially signed the peace treaty. And then another war broke out within El Salvador. So, oh, <laughs> so it was uh, there. El Salvador is having a great time with uh, it. They're, this, they're this having whole period. a great time going through the 60s, 70s and 80s. Sounds absolutely like a wonderful time to be there flawless yeah absolutely but uh so el salvador did play in the world cup in 1970 and they uh, lost its first three matches and was eliminated which i think is uh, kind of uh, also hilarious say, this, this is the other fact i know all of this this hatred and vitriol uh, that came with game three uh did not benefit the <laughs> salvadorian team well uh they went in with their their hope of a martyr uh they took it with them uh, and they got 
absolutely crushed uh, <laughs> by all three teams they played. Uh, yeah, uh, especially in their, their opening a match against the USSR, uh, yeah. who were a, a powerhouse of their own at that time. Yeah, just all of that, just like seething anger and hatred, just like nothing. Like yeah. it just had absolutely. They, like... they spent it all on beating Honduras, and then completely forgot that they had a much bigger tournament to go and play the next year. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and with that, we can uh, we can say that that is the conclusion of the football war. So, what what did you think, Liam? Anything surprise you? Uh, uh, I think yeah. I mean, like you said, it's not just a, a war. That was caused because uh, two nations got upset over the uh, the outcome of a football match. It was a war that was caused because two nations got upset about the outcome of three football matches. <laughs> exactly. That, that, is, that is definitely the message that I wanted to hammer home. Uh, uh, soccer is the only cause of war in the world. Yes. Uh, there is, if we, if we just no ban soccer, we'll, we'll solve all issues. Yeah, just, just ban soccer. I mean, like, ever yeah. since... Uh, I mean, the, the British, I think, weren't they the country that to officially event events like soccer is, is what most, most people think, correct? Oh, man, I, I, that is a fact I cannot explain. Soccer is just everywhere. Yeah, People I mean, have been playing, have been kicking a ball around with their foot for eons. Well, I, I could remember um, reading a little factoid, and I don't know if this is true or not. Uh, this is years ago that I read it, but apparently, according to this factoid, the very first kind of like official soccer game, uh, as as they termed it, was um, was played in England during the medieval age. And for the ball, they used the head of a Viking like king that had been like decapitated. Oh. So if if we just went back in time and just stopped all of that from happening, then there'd be no more war, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, so just much, uh, it's much easier to go back in time and stop Viking head soccer. Uh, than to, say, enact easy social reform uh, over decades rather than trying to instantly do it and failing. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree with that 100%. <laughs> so uh, so the message that I want you guys to take away with this is uh, go, to your, go to your local rec league and just try to ban soccer. I mean, just like just get rid of it. No good can come of it. So. They can't stop you. And if they do try to stop you, declare war. Absolutely, yeah. Which, uh, which, as we just explained, uh, nothing could go, could go wrong there whatsoever. So just make sure you have some World War II era fighters at hand. Absolutely, you're you're gonna need those for sure. But uh, so that's our show for today. Uh, thank you so much, Liam, for coming on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, if you guys want to go ahead and look and see more or, or listen to more podcasts, uh, you can go ahead and look us up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, pretty much anywhere else you find podcasts. We also do have a Twitter up as well, where I post memes, uh, usually relating to the, uh, the the content of the episodes. Like today, uh, the only like meme worthy thing like, I think of for soccer, because like I said, I'm not a soccer guy. I just remembered that that terrible. Do you remember that terrible statue of Ronaldo that they like erected oh, yes, a few years the, ago? <laughs> the uh, the Ronaldo bust, uh, which was made by a woman who I'm pretty sure has never looked at Ronaldo. <laughs> I mean, I've never looked at a person, you know, you could even say, like, it looks like he was, his, his face was just smashed by like a cement mixture, you know, just like flattened by just one of, one of the fucking cement mixtures. But, uh, so go ahead, check out the Twitter and the Facebook guys. Uh, until then, um, don't start any wars over soccer. Bye.